The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. (laughs) You are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Nody no 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 nody no no notes nody no notes from the underground. Let's get it started. Hey. Oh yeah. Let's get it started. Ha. I like that first oh, like half-hearted oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just I I don't want to steal I don't want to steal Rick's thunder, Rick Carlton's thunder, right? Just oh, yeah. The, oh yeah. You just do that. Oh yeah. Yeah, so I don't want to steal his thunder. Well, anyhow, folks, welcome back to Notes from the Underground, where we take a microscope to some of Christianity's thornier topics and people. I am your host, Tiziana, mom so hard severse, which I'm not actually momming hard at all right now. You're not, but how do you mom so hard? I don't. My mother-in-law moms hard. That's what Uh. she's doing. Yeah. (laughs) Thankfully, my mother-in-law stepped in today and she is like, go to the podcast. She'll take a bottle if she's hungry. Amen. What did I I tell you? (laughs) Thank God. Thank God. Thank God for her. So anyhow, to my right, I've got Rick, the Podfather Welch. I'm getting some new names. Is that where we're going? Uh, Podfather, uh, Sarita calls me the OG. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see. Rick Carter calls me Jelly. I don't know. I don't know. You call me whatever you want. Just don't call me late for dinner. Hey. And that's so cliched, <laughs> but I'm fat. And so please don't call me late for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> we also, for the first time here, right, yep. have Sarita the Edge Edgerton. Hi. I'm, I'm mom so hard this morning. Yeah. let me. You've been momming hard a lot since the birthday party. How how you momming so hard today? Well, I got up and I cleaned some softball pants, bleached them, got them white again. Ooh, that's some work. Did some algebra <laughs> with some kid. Got him ready for that. Made sure my husband could get everybody to orthodontist appointments. You know, like directing traffic, basically. Yes. Doing all the, the unpaid And then I drove labor. 45 minutes. That's right. Yeah, that's a lot of uh, stuff. And I did it on one cup of coffee. And, and yeah. all before nine. That right, there, a champ. that right there is a champion. Oh, my goodness. I am living on the edge. <laughs> See? But, okay. And as usual, behind the glass, Rocket Man Andy Bishop. Oh, that reminds me. Whenever we did our last episode on Hebrews, which hasn't been released yet, but uh, it will be this week. So by the time you hear this episode, it'll matter. You did something. You were singing a song. I'm walking on the edge. That would be a great name for your own little thing. Walking on the edge (gasps) with Sarita the Edge Edgerton. That's pretty good. The the lyric, to be fair, is living on the edge. Right. I was living on the edge. Oh, is that what you said? I think she just missed it in the moment that she was like quickly recalling it for a joke. Who is that band that did that? Aerosmith. Aerosmith. Oh, that's right. But we could t- call it Living on the Edge. Yeah, or you even could. just Walking on the Edge if you want. On I the mean, edge, yeah. yeah, it's still a good name. It's still fun. It's, and it's and it, it's still, it, you could parody the name of the thing. You, I mean, people yeah. do that stuff all the time. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, you call it whatever you walking want. Walking on the Turns Edge. Out. I love it. I do. That's why I say with Nala, I would do anything for food. <laughs> that's my dog. So it's okay. He- I had a different one. I would do anything for lust. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's yeah. for a dude? Yeah. Man, you would be surprised how many dishes and laundry I've done. <laughs> <laughs> right? I tell Dylan, if you want to, if you want to 
if you want to get me in the mood, go empty the dishwasher. <laughs> exactly. I said it all the yeah. time. Like I used to yeah. tell I used to tell young men when when I would counsel them, I would say, making love starts in the kitchen. And you know I've what? I've told them that so many times. It's like if you would just figure that out. It starts in the kitchen. This We're going to just do what we always do, which is wander off into the weeds. But do you remember that <laughs> TV show, Dinosaurs from the 90s? Oh, of yeah. course. Not the mama. We recently, just for fun, because our daughter, Aurora, is like super into dinosaurs. So we watched the first episode of that show. She didn't care, so we didn't watch any more of it. But we watched the first episode. The first episode is the mom is overwhelmed and frustrated and exhausted because she has two teenagers and a baby and she's up all night feeding. And the dad is trying to get her in a romantic space. And so the whole episode is him like trying to figure all this thing out for her, how to how to get her. He like goes and relearns the like mating dance that he learned in their 20s, comes home and performs it. And she's like, get out of here. Sleep in the <laughs> guest room with that, you know? And then he wakes up in the middle of the night and like, Baby's the baby and does the nighttime feed so she can rest. And that's when she's like, you've never been more attractive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, it's, it's, it's such a trope, you know? It really but anyhow, is. so we're talking about love and marriage and babies. So that's a perfect segue to hop back into our study on the book of Ruth. Yes. Yeah. Ruth. Hey, you know what? Can you give me the 30 second like uh Yeah, I'm going to catch y'all up. Please. That's the plan. So we started uh, the book of Ruth a couple of months ago, and we are following the story of a young woman named Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi was married to Elimelech and had two sons, Malhone and Chilion. There I can't was a hear famine. that word without Elimelech. Uh, I know, me too. I'm so I know, sorry, every time. I apologize. Famine in the land of Israel. They bounced down to Moab. Super bad idea. God was not a fan of those folks. There are lots of reasons why. Then the two sons die and the husband dies. And so Naomi's like, I got to go back. I got to go back to Israel because I got nothing here. And I've heard that they've got food there again. The two daughters-in-law are like, we love you. We want to go. And she's like, look, I can't do anything for you because I'm not going to be able to have any more children. So you need to get married and find you a man, girl. And I'm not I'm not the one. So Orpah, daughter-in-law number two, is like, oh, okay, it's really sad, but I'll go. And she takes off. Ruth's like, no, and gives what we often recognizes one of the most beautiful statements where you go, I will go, your God will be my God, your people will be my people, and may death, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything, but death separates us. Right. It's beautiful. Lots of people call that her conversion. I'm not there, but there's arguments against that. We talked about that. So she goes back to uh, Naomi, returns to town, head hung low. She left with plenty in a time of famine and has returned in a time of plenty with nothing but a Moabite, which again, was not was not uh, was not a bonus. It's such a that God, wasn't a thumbs such up. Such a God man story. Oh yeah, oh, you I know? know. I mean, it's I know. So it, it really I know. is. I yeah. know. Ruth walked into a situation where she was utterly she was a cultural pariah, and she rolled up her sleeves and her love for Naomi. Uh, that Hebrew word chesed. You know, faithfulness. Her faithfulness to Naomi was such that she was like, "What do I got to do?" Right. So they arrive back in. We're now chapter two. They arrive back into uh, Babel, or Babylon. Bethlehem. What Bethlehem? Bethlehem. <laughs> and <laughs> Ruth sets babs? out. Bab- Ruth babs. sets out to go find some food. And Naomi says, "You know, go out." And she says, "I will go out and see in whose field I may find favor." Which we discussed again. She shouldn't have had to do because God prescribed in Leviticus that they were to leave gleanings on purpose. And and because the period of the judges was a time where sometimes it was. Um, they were honoring God's law and sometimes they weren't. Men were doing right in their their own own eyes. eyes. We can assume that this was one of those periods of time and that Boaz happened to be a righteous man despite the culture, just like Ruth happened to be a righteous woman despite the culture. But the culture at the time was still one of great danger. That's why when Boaz is like, hey, 
who that little chickadee out there? And they're like, oh, that's that girl. Come home with Naomi. He goes out to her and he's like, stay close to my handmaidens. And then he has to specifically tell his workers not to harm her, i.e. R-word her. Mm-hmm. So, and he also says, stay close to my people because you will be safe here. And then he even instructs his people to leave her some extra gleanings, which is really thoughtful. So she comes home after, after being in the field. She's got all this food and Aoife. And yeah. Naomi's like, what? Where did you glean today? This is rad. And she's like, some dude named Boaz. And Naomi starts cooking up a plan because Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. So we are going to start in chapter three, which (laughs) the best place for me to start is with the threshing floor. Mm. So we're going to read because I like to just like read the text but I have a little thing here about the threshing floor. So once again, when humanity shifted from being hunter-gatherers to being people who planted fields, um, that happened almost first in the Levant, which is interesting because I think that lines up with the gener- with the story of creation. When they left the garden where they walked in faith and just gathered what was there, they suddenly began tilling the land. Uh, So in the Levant, which is that area, like, you know, Mesopotamia, like- Fertile Crescent. The Fertile Crescent. Thank you. I'm sitting here. No one can see me like using my hands to try and draw a picture of the like side of the Mediterranean Ocean. Thank God for Sarita. Anyway, it arose there first. So there were lots of cultures in and around this time that had threshing floors. Threshing floors were places of great celebration, and especially in Bethlehem if there had been a famine. And so what happened on the threshing floor, you took the grain, you brought it in, and you started to beat it or winnow it from its chaff, and the wind would carry away the chaff and would leave behind the grain. People were eating, people were drinking, and there was prostitution was extremely common on the threshing floor, especially in some of these like uh, cultures that were surrounding the, um, the Israelites, because for a lot of these other cultures— We've, and we've talked about this before, Baal, the god of grain. The god of grain, the right. lord of the flies. Right, yeah. All of, all of the things. Right. <laughs> so, so for these cultures that were surrounding Israel, prostitution on the threshing floor also had an element of worship to it, which I, you know, ew. But that's a different thing. It's like a boomtown Weird. gold rush. Like, you, yeah. you know, it's like going to the Old West whenever they have a gold rush and you know, things are celebrated and everybody's happy and then yeah. the prostitutes come. I mean, that's exactly. what they do, except some yeah. of these people were so, worshiping. Well, in the and- New Testament, there were temple prostitutes oh, all yeah. over the place. All yeah, of it's not just no. here. No, you know, no. It's all over the place. That's right. That's here right. meaning the Old Testament story. You yes. didn't mean like here in Israel. Not, <laughs> not no. in Giraffe in Studio. studio. <laughs> there is no prostitutes. Well, Rich Ladies. just mentioned. <laughs> Rick just clued us into his night job. So that's right. You know, we I don't know. We don't know what kind of agreement him and Andy have. Anyway. Most people are so surprised. <laughs> and they're also surprised to find out that I didn't go to college. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I went to trade school. That's what I did. I went to trade school. Yeah. But anyhow, so so the threshing floor is a place of celebration. It's a place of merriment. It's a place of of drunkenness. And then because it is also a place that is vulnerable to thievery. Mm-hmm. Everybody spends the night there. That's common. They would stay there to protect the harvest. And because this was a period of the judges where we're assuming things had taken a moral downturn based on how Naomi and Ruth had to navigate gleanings, which they shouldn't have had to do, we can also assume this was a time where stealing of the grain would have been 
uh, popular sure. behavior. So they're all going to spend the night there. They're all going to get a little wasted. They're all going to keep an eye on the grain. They're going to party. They're going to celebrate. So that's what we're doing in the threshing floor. And Hosea 9, actually, I'm going to read Hosea 9.1. It says, do not rejoice, O Israel. Do not exalt as other nations do. For you have played the whore, departing from your God. You have loved a prostitute's pay on all threshing floors. There you go. So this is Obviously also- Obviously, it's common enough to know. Also, yeah. it, it's just, that is what happened on the threshing floor. Right. That's what happened on the threshing Somebody floor. Start what happens on the threshing floor stays on the threshing floor. floor. You know what I'm I think it wow. probably did. It's the Vegas of Israel. It Ooh. is. The old world. Yeah. <laughs> But so that being so that being said, I think it's important to lay that foundation, that cultural foundation, not just for Israel, which because Hosea wouldn't have said that if that wasn't something that was even happening. Yeah, in they obviously all. But understood this is a common a common cultural practice. It's almost like when you make a joke about a bachelor party in this country, you automatically understand it means strippers and cocaine. Exactly. Right? <laughs> I didn't know about the cocaine I part. I didn't know about, the, cocaine about the strippers. No, they come oh, together. Sorry. Or <laughs> the strippers. They come together rather nicely. <laughs> well, so you My have- husband didn't have that kind of party. Ooh, so. this is me making no, a face. No, my husband didn't either. Neither of, my, neither of my husbands did, I don't think. Andy, you were in charge of Brent's bachelor party. I don't remember. I think you guys like played video games or something. Well, yeah, it was nothing. Yeah. <laughs> we were not that sort of partiers. No, 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 no. No strippers no. and cocaine, huh? No. Well, you know, maybe maybe we optioned it and decided right. to sit around. Video games. Video. You chose, you decided not, you were like, mm, strippers and cocaine or playing video games video in games my and basement. Weed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, instead we recreated that 70s show, apparently. That's right. what it sounds That's like. That's what it sounds like. I wasn't there. I wasn't invited. Of course not. I wasn't invited. It's a bachelor party. Yeah, exactly. But, well, I think when you have, this becomes a party where they're going to be drinking you know, alcohol does some things to our inhibitions. And so if there are women and men in the same area and their inhibitions are less than stellar at that moment, less than they're not in control. Yep. So typically you're going to have these things happen. And that's why you must be so very careful. You know, we don't have threshing floors, but we have other places that I, as a married woman, probably shouldn't go to and imbibe. Unless you go with your husband. And, and imbibe alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so not to put put myself in a situation where I would be- Vulnerable. Inhi- less inhibited mm-hmm. and yeah. do something that would ru- ruin my marriage. Absolutely. I just, it's just not, it, it, you know, we have to be very careful. Um, but obviously this wasn't- a hard and fast rule here in the Bible. Well, and one thing that's fascinating and that we're going to get into, because we're going to start reading chapter three and it get it gets spicy. This is one Ooh. of those stories that I think should have like an NC-17. But there's, there's a couple of I'm making, I'm making a joke. Yeah. I'm making a joke. The old, the Hebrew Bible I'm is not. full. <laughs> yeah. The Hebrew Bible is full of stories and situations that if we can approach them bravely, can find lots of direction for how we should behave today. Mm-hmm. And listen, we can, mm-hmm. so I got saved at 25. I got married at 26. But in our counseling, I was a new Christian. Mm. And our pastor made us do the Song of Solomon, where he explained what the symbology meant. And I remember thinking, now, I wasn't a Christian until 25. Mm -hmm. So I had done things that were less than godly. We'll go with that. I like that. 
And I remember going, this is in the Bible? Oh, my word. And I was like flushed and embarrassed. I'm like... I had done things. Yeah. It wasn't like I had not done yeah, things. Yeah, you weren't Biblical new. things. But I had done, I knew carnal, I knew carnality yeah. in a real way. Yeah. And so when I was like, that's in the Bible, and yeah. I go get my Bible, and sure enough, there it was. And I was like, oh, well, so when you go to church, does somebody, and I've never heard in my Christian life anybody preach on the Song of Solomon never. from the pulpit. I have. Because never. it is so controversial. It's so spicy. Well, you're, yeah, you're lucky. You're lucky. I am. But I have. I've heard people reference it. Only in reference to its spiritual metaphor, which yes. is the love that God has for people. But you know what? We are missing an opportunity. I've done a women's Bible study. I've heard it. There you on go. It. I've heard it preached twice. Yeah. By men. Yeah. And they were Latina missionaries, and they were talking about. They were men. The, they were men. The machismo. And they were they were they were talking about the love for a man to a woman that and would be the Latino, sexual and erotic like, yeah. love that is necessary in a relationship. Yeah. They it's talked necessary. about it. They did not shy Andy, away from, from the it. Pulpit? Andy. From the pulpit. Sarita's borrowing your Bible, yes? Yeah. I don't know if you've had a chance to take a gander at it a whole heck of a lot. You should read the Song of Solomon so that you have a, a background of what we're talking about. Okay. It is a love poem. It's short. Between a man and a woman. Uh-huh. And it is racy. Now, we talked about this. Straight up racy. Like, describes body the parts and stuff. Of Gilead. Ooh, some yeah. of the, the greatest, goats. like, yeah. one of my greatest pickup lines that I ever used <laughs> came out of that book. I can't wait for this. Your uh, teeth are like a flock of newly shorn ewes. Each one with that with its pair, right? But, yeah. You ain't missing no teeth, girl. That's hot. <laughs> you got buck teeth. Your breasts that are like a pair of something. Yeah, turtle yeah. doves are turtle doves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they never. And she works. talks about his cedar. Right. I don't think we have to translate that. <laughs> his cedar huh. tree. We don't have to translate that. I mean, Goodness it's amazing. Gracious. It's amazing. Um, but I think that that's they, funny. Like, it should also come with an NC seventeen rating. Yeah. I'm gonna preface this. We're about to jump into chapter three, and we're gonna read it line by line, and we're gonna have a discussion. Yep. So wait. I just, it just occurred to me that wood as a metaphor for a penis is thousands of years old. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. That's amazing. But he called it Sorry. a cedar. A cedar. Like a big cedar. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Which yeah. was known in Lebanon as very tall trees. Very yeah. tall and strong Giant. trees. Giant. Oh. Yeah. I'm from the Pacific Northwest where yeah. we have cedar trees. Yeah. Tall and strong and proud and and thick, mind you. Listen, I am from the place of scrub <laughs> Sorry, pines. Sorry, I turned it back there. I, I come from the place of scrub pines and red clay mud. <laughs> So what does that tell you? I don't know. We'll ask Holly later. <laughs> Please don't. This is not going to ask Holly later. No, 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 no. no. Okay. Holly, you're off the hook. Let, let's see. Let's jump in. Who, who? Now, what I'm reading is the HarperCollins Study Bible. Uh, it's the New Standard Revised Version. Would anybody like to to kick us off with the sure, reading Sure, I am reading the New American Standard. Okay. So it's not the same as yours, but— Close. Well, it could be close. How many verses? Let's just get started to, let's go, let's read all the way down to four. Or let's read all the way down to six, excuse me. First one through six. Then her mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may go well for you? Now then, is Boaz not our relative with whose young women you were? Behold, he is winnowing barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not reveal yourself to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall take notice of the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, All 
that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. Y'all, I'm going to stop there and just say, I don't know any woman that would go to the club, for example, and not get herself all fancy and dressed up because her goal was to be attractive. Like her goal was to smell good, to look good, to be attractive. And the other issue is, because this may or may not be a good place to jump in if we talked too much about the Levirate marriage. So Naomi's goal here, when she says, because she says to her some security, she means a husband. Mm -hmm. So the time has come in Naomi's eyes to approach Boaz for a Levirate marriage. That's why she mentions that he's a kinsman. But instead of approaching Boaz in the daytime as Ruth's handler, as it were, and saying to him directly, you and I are kin, you know, let's talk about being a kinsman redeemer. She instead instructs Ruth to get dressed and get clean, which at this point, Boaz's only interactions with Ruth had been in the field where she was likely sweaty and stinky. And so Ruth, Naomi instructs her to like get clean and to anoint yourself with oil is the, it's the ancient equivalent of cosmetics. Right. And to go down to the threshing floor and to just like hang out for a while Mm -hmm. in an environment where the only pretty girls there were prostitutes. Yeah. And then wait until Boaz falls asleep. And go and uncover his feet, and then he will tell you what to do. Discuss. What do you, what do you, <laughs> she's basically getting herself, getting, okay, first of all, I think, I see from the mother-in-law side of this, Naomi knows that she's not going to live forever. And if Ruth is left there without protection from someone, a family, something, She's going to be enslaved. She's going yeah. to be taken advantage of. Yeah. So sh- she's coming from a place of love. Absolutely. But she she tells her daughter-in-law to get herself into sort of a prickly position. You you have to go wait till he's drunk. Yeah. He's he's full. He's drunk. He slept. And go put yourself in a position where he has to redeem you if he can. And like he she puts herself out there. Yeah. And and I get where Naomi's coming from, but I don't know this is the best. This is not the advice that I would give my daughter. Like, <laughs> hey, would you go and just— It's a bit of a risky plan. It, yeah. It's a little Have bit. Have you ever seen what whores do, honey? <laughs> I, wish you, I wish you <laughs> podcasters could see my face because I'm like eyes wide being like, yeah, yeah, this is such an interesting story. And at this juncture, it's, it's just the way that Naomi felt it necessary to create this kind of condition and these kinds of um, this picture. When in reality, well, let's, but there's also some, there's a, there's a unique component here when it comes to the Levirate marriage. I'm just going to real, real quickly read about the Levirate marriage, which happens in Deuteronomy 25, verse 5. When brothers reside together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in to her 
taking her in marriage and performing the duty of a husband's brother to her, and the firstborn whom she bears shall succeed to the name of the deceased brother so that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man has no desire to marry his brother's widow, then his brother's brother's widow shall go up to the elders at the gate and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his town shall summon him and speak to him. If he persists, saying, I have no desire to marry her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, pull his sandal off his foot, spit in his face, and declare, this is what is done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. Throughout Israel, his family shall be known as the house of him whose sandal was pulled off. So if you remember, Andy, do you remember when we did our funny interlude and we talked about Onan and his wife? Remember, Onan's brother had died. Uh And so what Onan's brother does, he goes and he has sex with her, but then he pulls out. Remember I said that was the first pull out? Spills a seat on the ground. Spills a seat on the ground. Well, so what was happening and why we laughed at it out of context because it was based on what she said in Deuteronomy 25. That was what was supposed to have happened is that she was allowed. She had rights. God gave that woman rights in this and said, "Yeah, I'm going to spit in your face. This uh-huh. is what you won't do for your brother. Well, he didn't want to deal with that. So what he did was he had sex with her, but didn't give her the seed uh-huh. so he could avoid the embarrassment and all of that. So you know what happened? What? God just killed him on the spot. So yeah. that's the Levirate marriage you're talking about. It is. And so, and so, and so that's the Levirate marriage that we're talking about. Now- when we, we have two things at play when it comes to the study of the Hebrew Bible. We have Torah law, which is what we just read. And then we have the rabbinical law, which is how the rabbis kind of sussed out some of these things and made them larger and grander and bigger over time, which again is kind of one of the things that, one of the beefs that Jesus had when he came was that the, the, the rabbinic law had kind of overshadowed Torah. But there's a lot to be said here. What if somebody doesn't have a brother? Right. What if, you know, um, what if the brother's, brother's already died. married? What if the brother's already married, but he's married to this woman's sister? Because sleeping with a woman's sister is again against the law. Mm-hmm. That's against biblical law. So, for example, you know, if Orpah and Ruth had been sisters and Mahon had died and Chilean hadn't, it would have been. There are two laws here. Levirate mm-hmm. law says you should marry her, but then Levitical law says you don't marry a woman's sister because it's going to just cause a bunch of strife. So the rabbis had created a bunch of other kinds you mean of like possible Leah ways. And Rachel, Rachel, sorry, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Le- it caused a lot of strife, so much strife, and that's the other thing too. So the rabbis were like, okay, and again, when I say rabbis, these are over thousands of years, and we could reference the Babylonian Talmud, we could reference Josephus, who mm-hmm. we talked about a number of times on the show. I think a uh, uh, Mennonites was another like great. Jewish thinker, another rabbi, where they kind of found out ways to take these laws and stretch them out and make them a little more applicable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact remains that if Naomi had felt compelled to approach Boaz in order to enact this Levirate marriage, she had a precedent. Just go and just ask. And right. the precedent is if he refuses, he's going to be humiliated in front of all of their culture and society. And of note, hmm. Inheritance laws were such that the reason a brother might choose to not follow through with the Levirate marriage is that if he gave that woman a firstborn son, that firstborn son was going to inherit his father's, his dead father's property. 
But if there was no son and there was no one to inherit, then the next brother would inherit the property. Right. So some brothers, and there would have been a challenge a potentially within the Jewish nation and within Israelite culture where a greedy brother would have not wanted to enact the Levirate marriage because he had his eyes on his brother's property and would rather inherit it. So that's why this woman mm. had the right to shame and humiliate him in front of everyone if he chose not to do it. And so, but, you know, we run into things where the cultural shame possibly wouldn't have been enough to overcome it. So the rabbis kind of came up with these other... They also had different interpretations of, for example, when two brothers live together. Um, Some rabbis preach that if they lived in the same town, so if the other brother lived in a different town, then another relative could redeem her. Or if they interpreted live together as alive at the same time. So if the other brothers were dead, then another, another, you know, uh, relative could redeem her, you know, they had to kind of stretch it out a little mm-hmm. bit. And and so that's kind of what they're referring to here because Boaz is not a brother. He's a, he's a quote unquote kinsman redeemer by rabbinic law, mm-hmm. but not necessarily by Torah law because he's not a brother. Right. And I feel this, like there's an undertone here too, because Naomi, um, obviously let's talk about men and women. Let's just be real. I mean, men and women, a woman who dresses up and smells good is incredibly attractive, and I totally get it. But see, Boaz was a cool dude. Like, we learned that earlier in chapter two. You know, he was really good with Ruth. Like, he treated her really well. And yeah, he But like he wasn't decent. married. He wasn't married yet. And so this is a man who works, who is honorable. All those ladies on the threshing floor are going to be trying to get after that, don't you think? I mean, sounds sounds like a catch. I imagine the catch. Boaz had probably been dealing with that for quite a and long I think time. That's right. And they come in right at this right moment, and Naomi says, "All right, look, he's been kind to you in the dirt. Let's see how he is with you when you're on the threshing floor." Does he's he treat? Kind- does he treat her like a prostitute? Ooh, y'all, let's read. Let's get in. Let's read because that's actually I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it no, match, no, but it, it doesn't match his reading. nature. Well, let's keep reading. Before we move to the next part, I also wonder from Naomi's point of view, we always see this through Ruth and Boaz, but from her point of view, was this her only power? She had lost everything in a foreign country, had to move back. How traumatic, traumatic was that? She lost all the property because there, I mean, it there was by nothing. Husband, right. Yeah. There's nothing there in where she was, where she was living. She had to come back home, tail between her legs. Did she feel like her only power was subterfuge? Yeah. I think she probably did. And in reality, it might have been. It's sort of Could like. Could she actually approach did the she have the power? power yeah. The rabbinical powers that be, she could not do that. No, she would, have been taking, she would have been taking care of as a widow. But they That's, weren't doing that either. There was nobody to take care of her. No, but the point is, is that she she could have called, like, in other words, if you were, we were talking about law. That's where yeah. I was heading. Like, she would, she would have been taken care of as a widow. Yeah. You know, and that, because... God took care of widows and orphans, and that's what he commanded his people to do. And so when she comes back, but she's got this daughter-in-law with her too. So I I don't even know if it's subterfuge. I think she's smart, and I think she said, all right, look, if we're going to get a chance with him, and I'm going to give you security. She wasn't worried about herself, but in the back of her mind, she knew how dedicated Ruth was to her. Yeah. So she's trying to take care of the family because no one is going to redeem Naomi. Yes. And she's beyond that. That's she's why she's bitter. Redemption, and, yeah. oh, 
Oh, yeah, that the saddest heart, words. Isn't, it? isn't that the saddest redemption? Only, the only saddest in man's words. eyes, but not in God's. In God, in the law. Yeah, She's but that's past what redemption, I mean. But not in grace. And that's and like so, I get goosebumps when you said that because that's exactly the picture that's being painted here. That's a woman right. that is beyond redemption. Yes. And 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 in reality, unless you, for me, because I carry in my body the identity of female. Yeah, and all the feels I that feel come with it. it. I feel it viscerally when yeah. I think about the situation that Naomi was in. Yeah. And the thing is, we're going to get into it. There actually was property that if Naomi could have found a way to redeem it because she didn't have a husband's right to that land. That's right. If she had could found some way to redeem it, she could have had sustenance, but it was over there and she needed an advocate. Yeah. She needed a go between to get to that promised land. Mm-hmm. And Ruth was her answer. So she's kind of cooked up this interesting plan. And it to me, it gives big Esther vibes because Esther was also in an impossible situation that she had no power to control. And, I, and I, speaking I of that, that by the said, way, this is um go ahead. the feast of Purim. Yes. When you think Ooh. When you think, like when you said Ruth, yeah. like I, I totally agree with that. But I think it's Ruth and Boaz that gets, that is, she sees Ruth and Boaz is getting her to that place. Yeah. She's got to go through the kinsman redeemer. She and has to. She does. So and Ruth is her way, but it has to be through Boaz. Right. And what's fascinating too is in, in her desire to redeem, again, it's this loving, beautiful relationship. It, it's both her desire to redeem Ruth from her fate because again, like you said, once Naomi passed away, she was older than Ruth, at least by 20 years, at least. Yeah, minimum. Once Naomi was gone, Ruth would have no protection. No, especially as in a, a lawless land. As especially a Moabite, Moabite, especially in the period of the judges, which was a, a politically and, and religiously very tenuous time. Yeah. So, but in her desire to protect Ruth, she's also protecting herself because you love your neighbor as yourself. And we, when we lift one another up, all, all, uh, a rising tide lifts all boats, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it's the way that also her redemption is just inexorably tied to Ruth's redemption. It, yeah. Can't. And another thing it's, too. It's such a, it's such a complex interweaving of relationships that is unique to manless women in that period of time. I love when, whenever, whenever Sarita said subterfuge, it really kind of yeah. like, it like stuck in my brain. And I was like, I don't know if that's the way. And then I, st- you know, go ahead, Andy, what were you going to oh, say? Oh, I was, I was thinking that subterfuge is kind of a, a value judgment and uh, it may not, uh, like the fact that it happens at night, but it, it may not have been seen. Yeah. And I totally see where she's coming. I, I see where you're coming from, Sarita, on that. Like I totally do. I'm, I'm, one of the things that I love about the relationship between Ruth and Naomi is that Naomi never lies. Naomi is so brutally honest with yeah, Ruth. Yeah, dude, she's straight up. And so when she says, all right, I want you to start looking good, do you think Ruth didn't understand what Naomi meant? She was a Moabite son. The she son? knew exactly what she, she meant. She knew what was up. She done one. <laughs> she either had Malon and Chilion. I don't know which one she Netflixed and Chilion yeah, with. But, <laughs> but here's the that other was thing. Good, huh? Here's the other thing. She was a Moabite. She knew all about prostitution Absolutely on the threshing floor. She did. That was what her culture was doing. That's right. She knew that that's what Naomi was asking her to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. But did whether or not the deed got that did, way? she did. But, but Did she? Maybe. That's the her question. Her first husband. Sorry. It's possible. No, not, the oh, son did Ruth of get Naomi? her first husband that way? We don't know. Girl, that's a good question. See, that's the thing. I'm fascinated with what would have been Ruth's history. Were, yeah. Was her family dead? Is that why she was so attached to Naomi? Did her mother die at a young age? And so she had this like trauma. And so Naomi filled a, a deep, wound, soothe a deep wound in her heart. Like there is a very specific reason why this woman would have abandoned her own home, her own culture, her mm-hmm. own people, her own ways and travel with this other woman in like the period of the judges was like 1000 BCE. 
1200 BCE. Yeah. This is a dangerous time in history. And just for fun, I just got to say this just because it's in my heart. If, if you can think about how small and insignificant this one tiny little Moabite woman would be in the realm of history, yeah. where she fits, like grain of sand small, mm. yet she is the one that's going to carry the promise. Boom! It's awesome. Am I making you cry, lady? You're making me get a little, a little <laughs> I'm also postpartum. If you so, feel like you you're know, insignificant, be, be surprised. You'd Don't be surprised at what Lord's God plan. can do with you. Wow. What were you going to say, Sarita? I also have this question. She married a Jewish man with Orpa, who Oprah was named after, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, just misspelled wrong? Yeah. The, her parents misspelled it on her birth certificate, and that's how she got her name. She was supposed to be Orpa, not oh. Oprah. She told that. that on her show when mm-hmm. many years ago. I'm old enough to have watched. I the remember show. that. I remember that. So um, anyway, would she have had to convert to Judaism to marry him? You're more of a scholar than I am. Yeah. Like as far as you've been to divinity school. I mean, I read my Bible, but would she have had to convert to Judaism? That is another argument. So I brought a really fascinating book with me that I've been reading. And I have this, I brought it right here. Let me just shuffle my ish around. And once you get that, I have an opinion on that. And so this book is written by a man named Israel Drazen. It's called Unusual Bible Interpretations. This particular book is the series that covers Ruth, Esther, and Judith. So um, Israel Drazen was a, a top military, he was like a general in the United States military for thousand years, like his whole career. He's also a PhD. He's a Jewish man. He's a PhD in psychology and a PhD in theology. So he's highly studied. He was actually critical and one of the critical voices in the fight to preserve the chaplaincy within the United States military. Really? They wanted to get rid of it. And he was like, no, you need that. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a good dude. And he, um, this book is a, is a, it's, it's broken down by issue and he's compiled what different rabbis, because all we really have is what the rabbis would have said. And that's a big question. You know, does, did Ruth convert? And um, he says, we saw that many rabbis insisted that Ruth or perhaps even Orpah had converted to Judaism in their land. Um, although the rabbis did not agree on this, on when this occurred, there are good reasons to think that the concept of conversion did not exist during her time and was introduced later. So until then, the Israelites thought of themselves as a nation, not a religion. People could join the Israelite nation simply by marrying an Israelite or deciding to be an Israelite and live in that nation. It was much like the naturalization process today, except far easier. There was no paperwork or legal requirements. So that's his that's the argument at the beginning of that chapter. And then he goes in and he outlines different rabbis and different thoughts about that. So there is some suggestion that their identity, back to ancient Near East, the way that Israel's religious and civil law kind of intertwined is unique. So, and within that period of time, a person's national identity dictated what deities they worshiped because deities were tied to land specifically. So what he's saying is, we don't know if if Ruth converted. A lot of people suggest that her declaration of that, uh, where you go, Father, you're all be my God, that that was her conversion. But it the requirements— even like It was a concept. The requirements for that come much later in the law. Yeah. And so it's not really—that yeah. didn't exist. The question may and not so apply the question in a weird way. then becomes, did she become Israelite by marriage? 
because it, in this period of time, the period of Judges, because like I said, this is like 125 BCE, you know, is is early in their history. Like she would have married in and become an Israelite by naturalization, except like we discussed in Deuteronomy, they were not to include a Moabite unto the 10th generation. And we're about to, at the end of this book, read the genealogy. You can count it. It wasn't 10 generations. No, it was not. So, like so God does what he wants to do. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So, so I, and, and, and the other part of that story is if, if Naomi and if Ruth had converted both either when she married an Israelite the first time in Moab or when she made that gorgeous declaration, if she had converted, then why do the writers of Ruth consistently refer to her as a Moabite? They never refer to her as, as an Israelite. They never refer to her as a part of the nation. They never give her any other name except a Moabite consistently all the way to the end, even after she marries Boaz. Yeah. So it's a good question. I, I, I don't have a dog in that fight. But there, there has never been a, a genuine consensus from either party about whether or not Ruth ever converted. And it's just like our conversations on, on you know, preterism and our own conversations around eschatology. Some people think she converted when she married Malhan. Some people think she converted when she made the declaration. Some people think she converted when she married Boaz. Yeah. And some people think she never converted at all because that wasn't even a thing. In their yeah. culture, yeah, because yeah, because because you've fallen into the the forever trap of conversations about things like this, which is what do you mean by converted? Right. And I think you know, for me, what do you I, mean by work? Yeah, what do you mean by work? This is again, this is just opinion. I'm speculating here, but first of all, in my opinion, I don't think that she converted whatsoever. I don't think that the family when they came to Moab even cared to follow the law because they were marrying Moabites, so that. Um, when Which she, was not uncommon in the period of the judges. No, it was not because they were doing what was right in their own eyes. Yeah. But the law had already been written. The yeah. law was already there. The, okay, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, this is after Joshua. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the law was already there. So everything had been written in regard to this. They just weren't following it. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So Elimelech leaves with his wife Naomi and, you know, and his two sons, and he goes to Moab during this famine. And so— They've left the house of bread, you know, Bethlehem, and they're gone from it. And they've they've moved on. And they they're they're marrying into Moab. They're living in Moab. They're not acting like Jews. So if you think about like the parable of the prodigal son, you have a son, you have two sons really that are at home, and the one that says, "Give me my inheritance now," and he goes off to a far land, and he lives riotously, and he loses everything, and a famine hits, and then he's eating the husks of the swine. And what does he say to himself, man? Uh, my servants got it better than than I do. So I'm going to go back home and I'm going to be a servant, right? So when he gets back, the father doesn't allow him. So I see Naomi similar. So the son is thinking, you know, I, I want to be a servant and he knows. So I think of Naomi the same way. Mm-hmm. I, I see Naomi as like, I have nothing here and I'm gone. And Ruth doesn't have anything either, obviously, because she's going, she's leaving her homeland and she's going with this woman. So it's pretty obvious when you look at the story that she doesn't have anywhere to go. Yeah. But she loves she still loves her mother-in-law and her mother-in-law loves her. And so yeah. when they get back and I don't, I don't want to sidetrack this any further than I already have. But when they get back, Naomi is now re-entering back into her Juness. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Yep, she's absolutely. been gone for years and she's coming back in. She knows the Levirate marriage law, but Ruth does not, which means Ruth was never taught. Right. 
So therefore, Ruth had never converted. In my mind, she would have known. Yeah. So do you see what I'm saying? I see what you're she saying. She could have said, hey, mom, how about this? Can't we do this because the law says such and such? Right. There was no argument. There was, And that was why I, my God be your God, my people be my people. What she's saying is, I'm going into a strange land where I don't know anyone. But what you tell me is pleasing to your God, I will do. That's what you right. tell me is pleasing to the gods that rule your land, I want to be pleasing to that God so that I don't bring curses on you, but only blessings. Whatever you tell me to do that your God says to do, because that's what we're talking about. Everybody was ruled by the gods at this point. Yeah. And so she was acknowledging she was moving into a land that had a different God, a God she did not know, a God she had not interacted with, but she wanted to please. And she was depending on Naomi to tell her how to do that. And that's exactly what Naomi is doing. And that's exactly what she's, she's like, doing. Start smelling good, girl. girl and go put lay down on, on the, the threshing floor. Good panties. <laughs> Put on the matching set. Or I just mean, leave them at home. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> the, Sir. Yeah. That's I mean, they're, not, that's they're not threshing sanitary. barley over there, bro. So there's got to be some, yeah. like, yeah, there's some barley something. To there's something going somehow. on. So let's, let's, I want to hear about what Boaz does. Yeah. I do want to add in that I didn't have an opinion on that. It was just a question I wanted to put out there, but I actually do have an opinion on it. Um, <laughs> the fact that she is a Moabite woman. Yeah. And she's referred to that way mm-hmm. makes her redemption even more poignant. Mm-hmm. It does to because us. I am a Moabite woman. Technically, I'm not a Jew, That's so right. uh, my redemption should have been not. You're a Congolese woman. That's right. <laughs> I'm Caucasian Congolese. Congolese. <laughs> I'm, I'm inventing a new thing. I love it. All right, so I'm going to keep reading. So we just read down to, to verse six. We're going to read. Um, we're going to read the rest of this because there's so much to discuss here that I think we'll have we'll have lots to, to dive into, but let's read the whole thing so we know exactly where we're all going. All right, verse seven. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and he was in a contented mood, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came stealthily and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and there lying at his feet was a woman. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak over your servant, for you are next of kin. He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. This last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. You have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask, for all the assembly of my people know that you are a worthy woman. But now, though it is true that I am a near kinsman, there is another kinsman more closely related than I. Remain this night and in the morning, if he will act as next of kin for you, good, let him do it. If he is not willing to act as next of kin for you, then as the Lord lives, I will act as next of kin for you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before one person could recognize another. For he said, it must not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor because it doesn't look good. You don't want to, he wants her to avoid the walk of shame. Yeah. I'm fascinated that he's like, he's putting her away privily. Yeah. Just like Joseph was going to do Mary. Yeah. Very quietly so that she won't be humiliated. Men men with some serious, like. Honor. Legitimate honor. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Then he said, bring the cloak you are wearing and hold it out. And so she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her back. Then he went into the city. She came to her mother-in-law who said, how did things go with you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, He gave me these six measures of barley, for he said, Do not go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter. 
today. Boom. Boom. So you gotta know, you gotta love the wisdom of Naomi, man. There's some so there's some interesting, there's some interesting issues here. Yeah, he's like What was what I wonder what Ruth was up to before she uncovered his feet and laid because she was mixing and mingling. Yeah. She was. She had to. If she was not like she was hiding behind a pillar. I, I, you know, so she waits until he's asleep and then goes and lays down. But then he doesn't know got, she's you are so close to something. You're so I'm telling you, you are you have picked up on something that I never imagined I would hear in the studio, and you picked up on it. What was she doing before she got in his room? She was being a well, I don't know. They were partying. They were partying. But listen, they were hanging out. Boaz, she's a woman of excellence. Boaz, that translation. Boaz gives you a clue. He gives you a clue as to what she was doing earlier in that evening. She was and, participating, and but he not. saw her. He yeah. saw her. Do you know how I know that? How do you know? How that? do you know? Because he says, "You didn't go with the young men." Yep. Oh, I got you. How old I is got Boaz? you. I, well, we we don't know. We assume he's not he's a old. young man. Yeah. He's yeah. not a young man. Otherwise, you didn't go for the other young men. He didn't say that. He said, you didn't go for the young men. How would he know that? Because she was with him. I think he saw her. I think they were all in revelry and doing their thing. Uh, yeah. And he probably noticed her like, oh, that's the girl that I saw in my fields. So here's the thing. So here's that's the thing. That's speculation at best. Now, speculation, speculation, speculation. I'm going to just preface this next comment with all of that. She went and uncovered his feet. But then he didn't remember. She like he woke up a couple hours later. I think she approached him, and I think they had sex. But I think she didn't drift off. I think she stayed there next to him. And at midnight, when he was like, "Whoa, you're still here. What are you doing here?" You should uh, split. Then he, she's like, "But it's me. It's Ruth." And that is the moment that I think his his heart because what she's because just like Judah and Tamar, she was using the sex. Only because she wanted to fulfill the Levirate law, which was honorable. I don't. Are you sure within the context that they could have had sex? I don't I think don't, they can. I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, I, I understand where you're going. Speculation. You, Judah right? and Tamar, you can use it that way. It wasn't. Yeah, I also, see where you're going. Also, prostitution on the threshing floor. That's what she it. was there for. Yeah, so yeah. I'm wondering, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just wondering. I, I think our attitude towards uh, sex is uh, probably a little bit different than theirs was, uh, judging by the yeah. all the context I see in the Bible. I. Do yeah. not think that they were as, what's the word, Protestant about. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. puritanical. As yeah. puritanical yeah. as we are. Yeah. I really don't. It yeah. seems way more common and out there to me. And plus, also, we this is the environment of the threshing floor. That's, That's what right. everybody did. That's what's did. happening. Yeah. Number two, these people aren't spring chickens. They're not kids. The, no. She'd been married before. It's not like sex wasn't something she was familiar with. But what I think, it's a little bit to me, and Sarita, I see you want to pop in. Do, okay, because I want to hear. I, this is just an opinion. I don't yeah. know. But to me, when you see things like, for example, Esther having to spend the night with the king, they weren't playing Scrabble. Right. But she was, but God was able to anoint that night such that he remembered that woman by name. Yeah. You know, I think it's possible that Ruth did this thing. But then when Booth, when, when Boaz realized that what she was doing was trying to do the faithful and honorable thing, he was floored by her. And when he says to her uh, that you are, let's reread that word, because that word that he uses shows up in Proverbs 31 when we talk about mm. the perfect woman, right? When he says, uh, da, 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 it's in the notes down here. 
Mine so, says she was a woman of excellence. Yeah. Yours had a different yeah, translation. Worthy woman. So so in 311, when he says, uh, and now my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for all you ask. My people know that you are a worthy woman, excellent woman. That word in the Hebrew, um, eshet cheal, it's the same word used in 3110. So Proverbs 31 woman, about a woman who's loyal and faithful and excellent. Because if she was utilizing sexual subterfuge, like you were saying, she wasn't using it to try and ensnare him she was using it to try and fulfill the honorable and righteous law. Because you're right, she could have run off with one of those other young men, but she didn't. She followed through with Boaz because that was the righteous and honorable thing to do in order to, so that her dead husband's name would not be blotted out of Israel and Naomi would be taken care of. And it's also what, like, she was still following the promise she made to Naomi. I'm going to go and do what you tell me to do. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to give you a different opinion. Yes. Okay, so... I don't think that they had sex that night. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there. Yeah. I'm, I'm old, but I'm not that old. Well, I was. And- <laughs> okay, but I'm older than you, so it can't be. <laughs> so, uh, yes, I am. We you're- discussed this in the last one. I'm 49 years old. You look like you're 36. Well, you're sweet. Okay, so I'm I think she was out yeah. there eating and drinking, as everyone else was, flirting. Mm. Okay. But having then, a good time. Having, everybody's having, having a, a good, good time. Having a good time, yeah. I mean, you're letting the hair out down The threshing floor, what happens mm-hmm. on the thre- Okay, so yeah. she, she's out there having a good time. Her, she has a goal in mind, and it's Boaz. Yep. Not anybody else. Mm-hmm. She's following Naomi's orders. That's good. And so Boaz eats. He drinks. We don't know if he frolics, but he passes out mm-hmm. because that's what you do on the threshing floor. Mm-hmm. It says she secretly, my version says secretly, yours said something different. Stealthily. But stealthily. She secretly went while he was passed out and laid at his feet, uncovered his feet, laid at his feet. And then he wakes up, and mine says he bends down. So he sits up, and then he kind of bends over and is startled that she's there. Like, he's surprised. So had they yeah. had sex— and she was there. I, I don't know that. This, so this is my opinion there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. she says who she is. And she says, you are my, she tells him why now. She, you are my redeemer. Oh. <laughs> you are my redeemer kinsman. Yeah. And he says, okay, I'll do whatever you want me to, whatever you say. But there's another who has, uh, uh, who has claim over you before me. I'm going to go see him in the I, morning. I thought that was real interesting, too. Okay, He's like, so, I'll do yeah. it. You know, I, I'll do it. Sure. But uh, let's see. Well, he wants to, he has to follow yeah, the Levi right law. He has oh, to. okay. So it's, about, so it's about law. I thought he was very lazy not, affair about it. I no. Was like, I was like, all right. But my thought was yeah. that she, he didn't take it. He could have. Now at midnight, they could have done the thing yeah. right there. Yeah. Just get it over with. Yeah. yeah. But he knew. He had already done a little research. He knew that's that there the was somebody thing. else who had claim over her. Oh, that's a good he point. He did not have sex God. with her because that child would have then been his, and the redeemer of the and the redeemer would have claimed him for the brother of the way back when, yeah. whatever. I'm so, so glad you brought that there's, up. There's, there's, I, I, there's where I think they didn't have sex because he already knew he's a yeah. man of honor. He's a man of honor. He calls for a woman of excellence. Yeah, he's a man of honor. Yeah, and he says. There's someone else. I have. I saw you in the fields. Yeah. I thought you were pretty all sweaty and dirty, which 
Yeah. Is that not the romantic thing? It's yeah, adorable. You were, you were precious to me when you were nasty. Okay? It's adorable. And so. <laughs> Girl, you nasty. But <laughs> does, <laughs> does, does Jesus not say, yes, my child, you were precious to me even when you were filthy, yes. dirty, yes. stinky, rolling around on the threshing floor. You were precious to me. Yeah. And she was precious to him. Yeah. He had done his research. Am I her redeemed? I think he already had this plan going on. And so I think when she shows up, he's like, okay, God, I see you. I hear you. Yeah. I, I know you're speaking to me. I've got to go make this right. Yeah. Ruth, I'm going to get out of here before people see you. Yeah. And your reputation gets sullied mm-hmm. because you currently have a reputation of being a woman of excellence, a worthy woman. Yes. Get out of here, run away, take all this food, and go. And so I think that disproves the fact that he didn't have sex. And with her. it also points back to just how good Naomi is because when Naomi sends Ruth initially and Ruth starts to follow these specific things and she's a Moabite, how would she know? Yeah. It kicked in old Boaz's brain and he started like, Wait a minute. I recognize. I recognize yeah. something. This is old school law. These people are doing whatever they want around here, but this is old school. This is law talking right here. I love and you know, I I, I never you you I never noticed that you could have gone after a younger man. Now, it's also possible that he means you could have tried to marry someone else, but again, her identity as a Moabite kind of put her in terms of an, into an outcast. I just love this idea that it's like my favorite high school movie where the nerdy gross girl, you know, and I yeah. and I say favorite high school movie because like all of them do this. Yeah, where can't she buy has me like, love or yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah. Princess, yeah. Diaries. Like, Princess, Princess Diaries, Princess Diaries, yeah. uh, Pretty Woman. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking that one, yeah. but I was like, where you take a thing, big mistake, huge, huge. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That 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 she shows up now in her glory, in her feminine glory, and I, I brother, he clocked her. Yeah, he did. But she yeah. caught his eye when she gross. was gross. So can you imagine <laughs> how beautiful what she, she looked like was. to him? You know, when she was clean. And it's like, isn't that just a picture of God's love for us? That He sees us when we're filthy in our own sin and doing things our own way and breaking laws and harming one another. And then what we must then look like to him once we're redeemed mm-hmm. and washed clean. Now, you know, and also, he loved us anyway. Think about this. Think about this is the appropriate time to do whatever you really want to do. You're partying, living it up. You're drunk. You're ha- you can you can do whatever you want, pretty much. Like just do whatever, do whatever you want. He's honoring God. Yeah. And at midnight. So so with so as my lady. mama used to say, ain't nothing good ever happened after midnight. You better be home before midnight. Right. Yeah. But he's not always wrong. After midnight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was wrong in many many ways. <laughs> I told my kids the yeah. same thing. Ain't nothing good happening to you after midnight. Get home. Get home. Yeah, yeah. When you're under eighteen, you get your butt home. But here's the thing. So, she was so. Wrong. Oh man. Andy Bishop in so yeah. many ways. He is the yeah. rocket man. Yeah. Pacal. She's all, passed on, so we'll we'll leave it there. I don't have an opinion. I think that your read, Sarita, is beautiful. I think that it could be any, I don't know what happened. It could be anything. I wasn't there. Yeah, I wasn't there. And I think that that's the kind of the beauty of the living word is that you're able to allow the Lord to use it to speak to you however it speaks to you. I'm not, if you tell me that God made some chocolate chip cookies, I don't care if God just abracadabra and they appeared or if God went down into a kitchen and took flowers and eggs and right. chocolate chips. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not attached to 
the stories being so 100% literal and factual that there's not room for the Holy Spirit to allow me to in, in, to interact with that story in a way that blesses my heart and soul, right? Because it, to me, it doesn't matter if God made the cookies or if God abracadabred them. Mm-hmm. I still have a chocolate cookie. Right. And one thing that stuck with me was listening to a professor tell a story about how, and this makes me want to cry, Filipino Christian women that are in prostitution because that's their only option. They love the story of Ruth because they find such hope that maybe someday they will have the freedom from this occupation. And you know what? I love that. So if they think that she slept with Boaz and that she got redeemed, just like Jessica, you know, Julia Roberts was the prostitute to Richard Gere, but it was the last time she ever had to do that. She got redeemed. Whether If that's how it goes, then great. But if she, if they didn't do it, it doesn't matter to me. Although I do think it's interesting. So the other reason why I think they may have two things. Number one, uncovering someone, uncovering someone's clothes, like uncovering his feet, just like um, uncovered someone's nakedness. The uncovering of someone is often a euphemism for for sexual interaction. And now other rabbis have stated that the word used for feet is only used a couple other times in the Bible. It's a weird word for feet. So other people are like, so that's not a euphemism for his penis. But other rabbis think that it is, that her uncovering his nakedness, you know, uncovering him means that in like sort of a drunken revelry, maybe they, they'd they had sex, but he didn't. But she, like the other prostitutes, you know, would have wandered off, would have gone back home, you know, maybe. But the fact that she stayed and spent the night— um, indicates that her decision to choose Boaz, like you were saying, of all these men, was more rooted in a desire for him than it was fame and fortune and riches. And that's what moved his heart, that her cho- cho- she chose him. It was almost as if she had a specific desire for him, which is un- obviously a prostitute's going to sleep with wherever she's going to get the most money. But that was not her choice. And, she- and-, and to reveal that she chose him in that moment— was because, you know, she wanted to be honorable toward Naomi. And so this just ignites his heart. Now— Well, the only thing she went home with was the the stuff he put in her cloak. Mm-hmm. So if she had prostituted herself the rest of the night, where's the other stuff? I don't think she did. That's what I'm saying. I think that, like Rick was saying, he saw her, like, flirting and being there and doing all the stuff, but she only chose Boaz. Yeah, the honest supposition is not that she was the prostitute in general. Yeah, I think that she was just making the picture, you know, like, so he, he, like, like Rick said, he could see her choosing who she wanted, but instead of choosing the one with the most money or the one that was going to be the youngest, i.e., probably the best time, she chose him, which, which indicates it wasn't just a decision about enjoyment or financial gain. She cared about him because he was the key to honoring God's law. Yeah, I think that the, it's just, again, it points back to the Naomi. It's kind of like, um, have you guys ever seen A Beautiful Mind? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you, remember, do you remember whenever John Nash is working out his thesis and he, he can't quite figure out it and he's at the bar mm-hmm. and then he sees the blonde and her friends Yeah, and he's, he creates this entire economic equation based off of how many people go for the blonde. Yes, but instead, he says, no, we all go for the friends. The blonde leaves, but everybody gets yeah. the business that night, right? Right, right. 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 So <clears throat> Naomi, when she's telling Ruth, hey, let's get ready. You're going to the threshing floor. The The point is that you're going to go to get Boaz, right? Yeah. So whenever you're – when you want somebody, a lot of times you might go and flirt with the other people yeah. to entice the one that's looking. Yeah. In other words, I think that Naomi could have told Ruth, this is how you work a room, or yeah, Ruth knew. I bet Ruth knew. I mean, she was a Moabite. 
Yeah, and she wasn't new. She wasn't born so yesterday. She, right. So I'm just saying that yeah. because he said you could have chose the younger men, I think that he knew. Like, he's looking at like, she's hot, and she's going to get whatever she wants. Yeah. And, but he's already done some, like she said, Sarita picked up on. Yeah. He's already done the research. So this I is- I love that. It is. Yeah, and I it's think powerful that's to him because he's interested. Yeah. But it's not. it's almost like a hard to get kind of a thing. Yeah. And then next thing you know, he wakes up and he's like, whoa, this hottie is right here. Yeah. But he still honors God and does not cross the line. Yeah. That's the kind of person. The thing, and the only reason why I think, because there's there's two interpretations in the Bible, like um, in the Bible version that I just read, it says, you know, what did, um, what happened? And Ruth told him of all that had had transpired, but other translations like of that word are all that he had done to her. And so there's just, there's a, there's just some, there's ambiguity, you know? And to me, the, the kicker is the emergency that Boaz then experienced. He will not rest until this matter is settled. Now, either he didn't sleep with her perfectly fine and was, was anxious to get this thing settled because he really wanted to, or he'd already slept with her un, unknowing. And wanted to fix it. And wanted to, because what was the law? She would have been, she, she, what, would the, what would the law have stated? It would have stoned her. Right. Or, but she was a Moabite, so maybe not, but it would have looked really bad. And so I- She would no longer have been a woman of excellence. No, she wouldn't have. So it's almost as if in his haste, just like Joseph and Mary, to, to not sh- not cause further harm, he was like, "We need to get a marriage certificate, like stat, because if we get married or later, we need to get her out. Then, yeah, then I mean, she actually wasn't going to marry her. He was going to put her away. But oh, not- Joseph and Mary. No, yeah. I'm talking about both. Yeah, oh, okay. But I'm just saying, like a man that wants to do things the right way. Yes. Right. So, so it's possible that his because he, like I said, the man will not rest until that matter is settled today. Where's the fire, Boaz? Yeah. Where's the fire? If if but so if in so, his loins, right? <laughs> so that's it, right? So those are the choices. So either way, they didn't sleep together. I just got goosebumps when you said that. It was so funny. Well, they like when she heard loins in my <laughs> pants. Well, that's also an old sketch from um. That's an old uh, in living color sketch. The the two girls that are always like, "Where's the in my pants?" I was anyway, thinking huh? of the Golden Girls, where she talks about, "Have your loins ever been on fire?" Oh, of course yeah. they have, Rose. So funny. I love that show. But so, so two things, either, you know, she, that either way, there is no question in my observation. And I don't think even amongst the rabbis, there is some questions. There are some that want to say, oh, when, when she clothed herself in her Sunday best, it was a euphemism for clothing herself in righteousness. When she clothed it, which, but to me, that's just a bunch of BS. That's a bunch of pearl clutchers that just can't like live in a real world with real dirty Girl, people. she was decorating that tree. She was decorating that tree because she wanted some presents. With a star on top. <laughs> she was doing it. Yeah, so she, so, and Naomi coached her. So I like Rick's read that the idea was to work the room on purpose in front of Boaz, you know, so that he could see her and be enticed by her. Now, you like, know you did that. Oh, back in the day at the bar, you're like, okay, say something to make, because I laugh. <laughs> Do you think that I, you know. Exactly. Why did I want to play in a band? Exactly. Is it because I love music so much or is it because I wanted to Chicks get laid? Because you wanted to lose money for and, an ongoing basis for years. On an ongoing basis for years. Because I wanted to experience the crushing disappointment of loving my art more than anything and listen to people have chats, chats and conversations I over me playing as a music. musician, but that didn't stop me from trying to make it. Yeah. That was, my whole point was I wanted to, 
You wanted people. the ladies. I wanted the ladies. Well, I was married. Brent and I were married. Yeah. And in a relationship before. I had to beg these boys so to you let me be in their you band. You didn't want the ladies? <laughs> so, no. Well, that was a whole other, that's a whole other conversation. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So. But, I, but that was, fu- that's, that's a whole other conversation because there's a lot, that was fun. But. This has been an awesome. Yeah. Look at Ruth 3, man. Yeah. I've never had this kind of a conversation about it before. Yeah. Good well, I'm excited. This is the stuff I love talking about. I love getting into to what does it, how do we translate this? How do we take these bones and put flesh on them? That makes sense to us. And this is why in the previous episode, I said, if you know somebody who's in sex work right now, just love them where they are and don't be judgmental because you don't know if God is actually working out her or his or their deliverance through the sex work because even though oh, this makes me cry I'm so emotional it's yeah. just, <laughs> I just hormones even though Ruth walked in as a prostitute she walked out as a wife and that is a, the beautiful story of redemption. So you might know someone who is walking in as a prostitute right now. You pray for the Holy Spirit to cover them and protect them for sure. But you don't know how God is intending to walk them out as, as a beloved. Yeah. It's whose really value easy. is seen. It's you really know? easy to turn. Yeah, to turn. I, yeah. Can I read something out of, yeah. now, out of Ephesians? Yeah, and then and then I think we might want to wrap this one up because I think it's been a little this over an be, hour. This would be I, a I good so. way yeah. to uh, wrap it up. Yeah. And it's in Romans uh, chapter 8, and this is something that Paul said, and it was making me think of Ruth. But and you did, said Ephesians. Did I say Ephesians? Yes. Yeah. I'm in Romans. Did I, okay. Okay. Did I say Ephesians? You yes. did. This is in Romans chapter 8. Both you can't women. get it by the edge. She'll hear it. She's Both of us women sharp. can't be wrong. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> Just it's ask a, our husbands. It's, a, it's yeah. a law. It's a law. It's a mathematical law. When two women are in agreement, it is impossible so that they something are wrong. That, something Paul says, um, he says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We were regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And then I love this part. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he came through Ruth. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, we're going to wrap it up with that because I can't think of a better a better note to end it on. I yeah. hope y'all have a great month, and we'll see you next month on the Burrows of Berea, Notes from the Underground. Peace out. Bye, y'all. Bye. Hey, guys, this is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea. You'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys. But the, but the meme on top says, the meme on top of the, this picture of like, you know, Nicholas Cage's just like raggedy busted face turning his head to the driver's side. He's in the passenger seat. The, above it, it says me 
getting my family healthy for the first time since July. <laughs> and then it cuts to um, Pedro Pascal, who's driving, and he's just got this like wild-eyed grin, and it says, my toddler who just licked the shopping cart handle. <laughs> <laughs> my two-and-a-half-year-old quite literally licked the handrail at the Malvern Hills Park the other day. I was like, look, <laughs> I am not about to be dealing with like, you know, Ebola on top of all this stuff. <laughs> do, you, do, you know who Lil, do you know who Lil Dicky is? Yeah, is Lil Dicky's a rapper. He's yeah. a Jewish rapper, and he's amazing. But he does yeah, he's like super parody funny stuff. Too. Yeah, yeah. And he's a part of this. Oh yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a song that he's a part of, and it's called uh, "She Ain't Fat, Bruh." And it's like <laughs> she's just a little thick, you know. And it's this whole song that's in celebration, you know. It's great. I love it. So is I like big butts and I cannot lie. Hey, so. that song is actually really powerful because it Case did. It came out in a period of time. Yeah, yeah, where people were just like, you know what? There in the 90s, heroin chic was a real issue. And it was like Kate Moss was a real famous, you know, yeah. uh, supermodel. Well, so was Twiggy in the 70s. So was so. Twiggy in the mm-hmm. 70s, right? And so there was this like celebration of being unhealthily thin. Yeah. And so that song came along. You know who else? Jennifer Lopez. Because they wanted her to lose some booty in order to to be— um, J-Lo. Uh, not J-Lo, but who'd she, who did she— Selena. Selena. And she was like, no— and her body became a trope and there were jokes about her big butt or whatever. But she stood in the gap for all of us thick girls and was like, no, you deserve to be seen. Simultaneously and deserve- in high school, I had two nicknames, Chicken Legs and Big Booty Judy. Jeez. I had both. Chicken I was a, I weighed about 100 pounds soaking wet, but I had a booty. <laughs> I, you know what? And I still got the booty. And the thing is, you still got the booty. That should have been, that should have been celebrated. That's all right. I would I would give anything to be called chicken legs right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? I had, I'm still called Big Booty Judy, but I had a nickname. They called me Hicker. And you know, because I I always got the hiccups like all the time in the most random places, like mm-hmm. all the time. So they called me Hicker. And that was the only nickname I can ever really remember. It's kind of weird. That is interesting. Hicker. Mm-hmm. It, they, it's a very weird name. I feel like they could have done better. I, know. I feel like they could have done Hicker better. Hicker sounds like, hey, man. Hey, hey y'all doing all right, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't say it just wrong because it goes bad quick. Okay. okay.